So if you go ahead and uh, look in your Bible to uh, Mark 15, 33, and we're just going to read along a little bit. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing this said, behold, he is calling Elijah. And someone ran in and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And when the centurion who, took, who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from a distance, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James, the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. And when he was in Galilee, they followed him and ministered to him, and they were also many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. This is the word of the Lord. So we see here, if you uh, want to get the timing right, when it was the sixth hour, the sixth hour was noon. So the sixth hour came, and he had gone through a lot even up to that point. But at the sixth hour, as it says in verse 33, came, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. So 12 noon till 3 p.m., there was um, a great darkness. And we, we sort of remember that, but there is some historical evidence, which I'm not going to take the time to go into, that either uh, a type of eclipse happened or just an unknown darkness happened over land, his, the land. Historical documents said this, but Jesus was there, and it says in 34, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Amos 8, 9 through 10, it says, And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon. And this is further along in the text or in the slides there. I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feast into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son, and the end of it like a bitter day. So this was the prophet Amos talking about what was going to happen at the cross. The sun would go down at noon, and the darkness of the earth would come out in broad daylight, and there would be mourning about the sun. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made him to be sin. And so we, we sit here and we look at it. And one way you can look at it, he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and people have argued whether it's uh, more liberal or more conservative, sort of back and forth. What did they mean by that? Was this a point of revelation that Jesus felt forsaken? And the truth is, he felt, if anything, abandoned. Because your sin, my sin, was placed on him. 
Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. So Jesus was there. It was dark. The sin was placed upon him. This was the worst part of everything. The beatings were minimal in comparison to a sinless God becoming sin for you and me. And that is the message of the gospel. In Galatians 3.13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So today I want, if you don't remember one thing, don't glaze over just yet. I want you to walk out of here with one thing today. And if anyone asks you, what did I learn today? What did you learn today? I want you to remember one thing, that Jesus was the temple. On the cross, that was Jesus' throne. That was the holy of holies. He was the one who was rent from top to bottom so that we could have access. So I'll say it again. If there's anything else that I want you to learn today is that Jesus Christ was the temple. And a little historical uh, information, when Pompey came in, I think around 68 B.C., uh, and they came in, they went to the temple, they were overtaken Jerusalem, they went in, they went to the temple, they went into the Holy of Holies, expecting to find the bank. They thought the bank would be there. They thought the gold would be there, the doubloons would be there, and and maybe they thought the Ark of the Covenant, which... um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, remember when they found that with, uh, you know, that he found that, but no, um, the, they thought all that good stuff was going to be there, but actually it was empty. So there were two curtains. There was a main curtain, and then there was another curtain that blocked access, but that room was empty. The Ark of the Covenant was not there anymore. Just keep that in mind as we continue on. John 10, 17 says, for this reason, the Father loves me talking about Jesus, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Hear this. His life wasn't taken by the Romans on the cross. His life wasn't taken. It was given. It was given. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Jesus went to the cross. He went to that throne, that miserable, ugly throne of the cross and was hung there so that our sins could be placed upon it. That judgment seat, if you would, became a mercy seat. If you look and you've studied the, old, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, uh, if you would go in that area when it was present, and you would walk in, and you were a sinful person. Well, I know we all are, but there was a, uh, the priest would have to go in, and there would have to be sacrifices, and they would go in, and if their, the sacrifice wasn't acceptable, the priest would be struck dead, and it was determined like this, the judgment seat. But when he went in that yearly time to offer sacrifice, and the sacrifice was good, and it was sprinkled on to the Ark of the Covenant, the sprinkling on the judgment seat became a mercy seat. Just as on the cross, the judgment that we should have paid for our sinfulness, 
the blood of Jesus Christ was sprinkled and it became a mercy seat. So if you would picture the throne of our Savior. No one thought he should come to a manger and be born in, uh, in a poor surroundings. Everyone thought that the coming Messiah would come in and it would just be probably to a royal family and all these things would be glorious. But Jesus came to a manger in lowly estate and he died on a cross, which what should have been our judgment became the mercy seat. It's good news for us. That, later on we read here, is that the temple curtain was rent from top to bottom. Now, I just learned this this week. I think I've been saying it wrong, so in, in, in going along where I think sometimes, you know, you, you preach something and you think you know what you're saying, and then 10 years later you realize you might have got it wrong, is that when the temple was rent, most believed that it was both the outer curtain, because the people could see it, and the inner curtain so you had this division all along in the temple. You had the place for the Gentiles, the court of the Gentiles, where you couldn't walk any further. And then you had the court of women that you could go, and if you were a, a woman, you couldn't go any further. Then if you were a Jewish man who was a part in, you would go in even further through. And in that, on that first uh, tapestry, there were a lot of stars. They were purple and gold. No one, uh, it was only explained by historians. There's not a picture of it, obviously, but that, that was torn from top to bottom. So what did Jesus do on the cross? Ephesians 2.14, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and is broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. So hear that word. He's broken down in his flesh. His body was rent. Is that making sense to you as far as Jesus being a temple? Are we tracking? Jesus' body was rent so that we could have access to the Father. So his flesh was broken into, broken down, and the hostility that we should have faced, the judgment that we should have faced, was torn asunder and we have access to the Father. Galatians 3.23 says, Also, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We all have equal access to the throne. We all have equal access to Jesus Christ because of what he did. We all have access to the Father because of it. He gave us that access on the cross. That's where the price was paid. So no longer does it need a Jewish man but it, or a Greek man or a Roman man or a whatever man. It is someone who comes to the cross and is changed by it, has full access. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are now a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. He has possessed you. So that you and I can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. Remember when the cross was dark from 12 to 3? He called you out of darkness into a marvelous light. So for the excellency of his name, we are called to proclaim that good work. Jesus was the temple. 
He was the perfect temple of God. And because he died, we died with him. For I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live. Not I, but Christ who lives within me. Ephesians 2.18 says, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Hebrews 10.19 says it even more bluntly. Just read this in your head with me as I go. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus gives us confidence to enter by the new and living way that he opened flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean, gone from judgment to mercy, our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we're called to have confidence Confidence because I'm a good person and I do good works? No. Confidence because I was born into a certain family? No. Confidence because I'm an American? No. Confidence because I'm a Jew? No. Confidence because Jesus Christ paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. This was the temple. His body was rent. We have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. If you want to take it a little more boldly, if you go back to Genesis, when a covenant was made with, by God, the animals would be separated and rent in two. God sent his own son to be torn asunder so that we may have eternal life and we may have a relationship with God and that we can proclaim the excellencies of his name. So it says, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance. That's speaking to us right now. If you're discouraged and you're sad and you're maybe miserable and you're Eeyore Christian and, and things aren't going the way you think it is, you need to reset and go, I need to have full assurance because my confidence is in Christ and his throne and his work. I have zero confidence in me, but I have all confidence in Jesus Christ. So we need to reset. We need to rethink our, our methodology in our head. We are called to have full assurance, no matter what our situation. So Jesus was abandoned by God because... Of our sin, God turned away. That emptiness was there. His all of time, he had relationship. And for those three hours, it was separated. None of us can imagine what that's like. There is no analogy. There is no nifty story that can explain what it's like to have a perfect life, to have a perfect relationship, and have all the sins of the world thrust upon you. There's no way to describe it. But Jesus did that for us. Hebrews 4.16 says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help 
in time of need. Dear friend of mine told me a quote, and I'm probably going to butcher it, but you're going to be hearing my version of it, and you're going to be hearing it often, I believe. And that is that the word grace is beautiful, but it is ugly up close. The word grace is beautiful. I love grace. But grace worked out is ugly up close. Jesus showed us what grace is. He showed us that it's ugly. We don't walk around and have it all figured out. We've got to press in and get close to experience grace. And if you've experienced grace, if you've been married for a while and you've walked in forgiveness, you've experienced grace. And let's be honest, it's ugly up close sometimes. I'll just say that for the ladies. We know it's ugly. We know we're ugly sometimes. Grace is a beautiful word. We say that we are a grace-centered church, but it is ugly up close. The throne with which Jesus sat and was nailed to, should I say, was brutally ugly. And so it is as grace is enacted out in our lives because it takes work, it takes humility, it takes forgiveness, it takes pain, it takes suffering, and that is where grace has its full measure. How many millions have found access to the Holy of Holies, the mercy seat, and the throne of grace at the foot of the cross? How many millions? That is the only place you can find it. You can't find it at the manger. You can't find it at the empty tomb. The brutality of grace up close is found at the cross. You know who was the first to see past the veil? The centurion. Just imagine, I think we have the verse up here. And when the centurion who stood facing Jesus, in the, in the Greek it means he stood face to face. He probably was the one that Jesus looked down and said, Father, forgive them for what they know not what they do. He probably didn't understand all that. He probably didn't understand all the things that happened. But when Jesus had breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. For the centurion, the cross was the birthplace of faith. The centurion was the first to peer into the holy holies when the temple was rent. And he received Jesus by faith at the cross. There is no other way to receive him. Three things. Jesus never gave a cry of despair. It's often been said that it was despair when he cried out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? But it was abandonment. We should never cry out for despair because Jesus didn't. God would abandon Christ on the cross so that you and I would not be abandoned. He took his own son and abandoned him on the cross. 
so that you and I will never, ever, 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 ever be abandoned by God the Father. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Nothing. You and I should never be in despair, and because of what Jesus has done, we will never be abandoned. And so that is how we need to play it in. The last part is that when Jesus cried out, it is finished, it wasn't like a scream, finally it's done. It wasn't a, a moaning, it is finished, I'm going to finally die, you know, it's, it's, my life is over. In the Greek, it is a victory thing. It is finished. And the centurion's watching this. And when Jesus said that, he's like, it is finished. And the centurion was amazed and that he died and he peered through the Holy of Holies. And the centurion found forgiveness. So as the centurion cried out in faith that day before the cross, so must you and I. We should never despair. We should never feel abandoned. We should cry out in victory that it is finished, even when it looks like it is the end. Because we know that the battle and the war is won. Should I say the war is won? When the Pearl Harbor attack happened, and if you look at pictures right now, I mean, we cannot fathom what that place looked like, really. It looks beautiful. Now, I've never been there, but I've seen pictures and video. It looks beautiful. But memorials are there for a reason, to remember something of significance that happened. There is a reason here at Oasis we leave the cross here center to everything because we believe that the battle, the victory was won. We are not abandoned. We are not in despair. We are not without hope. And folks, it is finished. Do you believe that for yourself? Have you been in despair? Have you feel abandoned? I have felt that way. What did Jesus do? He looked to the Father and he trusted him and he was obedient to death, even death on the cross, and he trusted God for that. We're called to have that same faith of the centurion, and truly, this is the Son of God. This morning, it is not about a, um, a mindset. The, the centurion didn't need evidence of the virgin birth. I don't, I don't see in the story that the centurion had to go stop for a second. I'm going to go research this, and I'm going to go find out about Mary, and I'm going to go find out about all this. I didn't see that. I didn't see the centurion going, well, wait a second. Are we sure that this is God or not? I don't know if my theology is whacked. I need to check it. But in faith, in faith, he looked at Jesus and said, yes, you are the son of God. And it is told, this man has a name, and it is thought that he lost his life as a martyr for the faith many years later. Folks, we talked about Simon of Cyrene who was not looking for problems and ended up having the cross on him. It was a brutal expression of, of just mess, but he followed Jesus with the cross. He was probably there when Jesus said his last, and he's probably there when he saw the centurion look up and say, truly, this is the Son of God. 
And we have often sang at, at Easter time, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there? Was I there? No. But because of what Jesus did, I bear, we bear the blessing of a right relationship with him. No more abandonment. No more crying out in despair. No more worrying about things. If we take the Bible at word, it is in faith we cry out, it is finished. It is finished. God is bigger than that. As we come up here in a moment, I want you to think of something as you come forward. Have you claimed abandonment? I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong. We all have feelings. But do you feel abandoned by God this morning? If you do, you need to take the loving reminder that the only person that was abandoned was Jesus Christ on the cross as our sin was put upon him. Have you been in despair? Has your situation jacked you up? Then take Jesus' model and say it is finished. I'm going to sing a victory song this morning. Would that be our prayer together as we take of the cup that is a reminder of his shed blood and we take of the bread which was broken for us, the body of Christ, so that we might proclaim the excellencies of his name.